0: Well, before we dive in, I want to share with you just some fun kind of family news that uh, happened this past Sunday. Uh, Eli Chase, you might know Eli; he's one of our worship leaders here, and then Sydney uh, Miller, who's one of our uh, assistants to one of our ministries here at Brookside. They got married last Sunday, so here's a picture of them. And uh, if you know Eli and Sydney, they'll be back in town next uh, Sunday. So if you see them around, congratulate them. Just a, a real special couple to our to our staff and to our church. So. Well, as Steve said, uh, today we're finishing up our series called Repurposed, and uh, it's been a fun two weeks. And this is our third week, we're looking forward to what God will do here in our midst again. And so, would you pray with me, and then we'll we'll jump, we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. You're a good God, and we worship you today in spirit and in truth, because Lord, you are worthy. And um, as your people, Lord, we just say that to you because we love you and. Uh, Lord, we pray this morning that you would continue to do a great work in us. And so let me encourage you right now, would you just personalize that? And would you say, Lord, I'm open to you this morning, would you teach me? And so have that kind of a conversation, just in the quietness of your own heart, with God right now. Go go ahead. Father, I thank you that when we say those kinds of words to you, uh, you you respond to that, and that's why we repeatedly do it, because when we open ourselves to you, you do a work inside of us, and so we're so grateful for that. You are alive and well, Lord, and we celebrate you, and we celebrate the work that you'll do in us this morning, so we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, in this uh, three-part series, what we're doing is we're exploring this idea That God can take in our lives things that might seem hard, things that might seem challenging, things that might cause pain, things that might bring a lot of frustration into our lives, and God can actually repurpose that. God can take that, what was maybe not looking like it was going to go on the trajectory for good, God can take that, repurpose it into something great. God can redeem it. And uh, it's been fun to see and hear different stories about how God's been working in these first two weeks. and, um, And we long for more of that even this morning. This idea of repurposing, it's taking something that had one intention. And maybe it was good, maybe it was not so great, maybe it was not so noble. And then God taking a hold of it, whether it's a situation or a circumstance or a person. And God using it for something great, pointing to something much bigger. One hot July afternoon last summer our family was kayaking down this little uh, river in eastern Iowa that I grew up on and as we were going along we noticed that there was this big tree that had fallen into the water and as a result there was a lot of debris that was getting caught in the branches of this tree as the river kind of ran through. And uh, I noticed in the midst of all the debris, there was this really cool-looking piece of wood. It was like four pieces of wood kind of uh, stuck together, some bolts sticking out of it. It looked like a piece from like an old barn door or something like that. And, and I kind of like stuff like that. So I, I thought, which is kind of weird, I guess. But so I thought, hey, man, going will kayak over to that and we'll try to grab that piece and I almost tipped it over in the process. But we got it, put it on the kayak and headed back. On when we got back to Omaha, when we got home, we set that thing next to the you know in the garage up against the wall and it sat there for about four months and i thought repeatedly why did i bring that useless piece of wood home right why do we waste our time and uh christmas then approached and so we got it out of the the bag and we cleaned this thing all up and and we took it to someone had them paint on it and and it ended up being this gift that my kids gave to their grandparents from this meaningful little lake right and um now i was thinking about that wood though i thought okay at, at one point that that barn door, at one point that piece of wood was, was a tree and then it went to a mill and then it went to a lumber store and, and then some, maybe a contractor came along and they bought it and then they built this barn and the barn stood there for who knows how many years and then at some point, for some reason, that barn got taken down and, and then this wood got chucked in a pile because it was useless. It was scrap wood at that point, right? And then that somehow from there, from the scrap pile, it got somehow into the, the river and then went down the river and then we found it and now... This thing hangs, and it's in a prominent spot, and it it communicates a lot. It's it's important, and and people people see it. When we look to the scriptures this morning, we're going to see this. God takes what might seem useless. God takes things that might seem hopeless. God takes things that might seem like, just oh, that's just scrap, and he repurposes them. And he changes them into, and he takes situations and circumstances, and he he says, you know what? I've got something greater in mind for that situation. When we look to the scriptures, we see this repeatedly. Some of you know this, and because you've been in certain situations where God maybe hasn't changed your circumstances, but God has completely renewed your perspective. And because your perspective has been changed, it's been a game changer for you. You've seen God take you from maybe some of the darkest of days, and you thought in the midst of that, there is no glimmer of sunshine coming. But yet, as you stayed in that, what you found and what you learned, you would say, you know what, that was a game changer for me. One of the main questions that we've been asking in this series is this, what do you do when God doesn't come through like you think that he should? What do you do when your back's against the wall and and you're out of options? What do you do in that situation where you're saying, and and it's not ill motives at all, not selfish really even, you're saying, God, would you change my circumstances? God, would you deliver me from this? God, would you allow this not to happen anymore? Maybe for you, you're in the midst of watching your parents go through a hard time in their marriage, and you're asking God, God, would you save their marriage? But what do you do when you don't see the results coming like you think that they should? What do you do when you've got someone in your life and you so long for them to be healed, but God's not healing them? What do you do when you say to God, Lord, I just want to follow you. Lord, I want to be in the center of your will and I want to walk right right there. That's where I want to be hand in hand with you. But you don't know what his direction is. What do you do when you're on a journey of faith and you're asking God, God, would you just reveal yourself to me? Maybe that's where you're at this morning. God, I'm pursuing you and I, I want to know, God, our Are you who you say that you are? What do you do when you go through a struggle? And there are times of victory, but then there are also, there are times of just where you go back to that same struggle, and you're like, oh, Lord, but what do you do when your backs against the wall, and you say, Lord, I'm still struggling with that. God, would you please answer my prayer? But God doesn't answer. We said this in week one. Desert experiences are the gateway to deeper experiences with Jesus meaning this desert experiences experiences that are hard oftentimes it's those experiences what are they they're the gateway to deeper experiences with Jesus Christ in week 1 we looked at Matthew chapter 11 the the life of john the baptist what we found that was true of john was that john's back was literally against the wall in a prison cell and john would be executed for no good reason jesus loved him dearly but john would be executed for no reason of his own he was not guilty and jesus said to john in the midst of that jesus said hey john your back's against john blessed is the man does not fall away on economy. John, blessed are you if you just keep going. John, blessed is the one who continues to persevere. John, blessed is the one who just puts one foot in front of the other and they keep going. And then last week, Steve talked about the Apostle Paul, and you know, as we see Paul in the scriptures, we find that. Paul was the one that God used to take the gospel to the Roman Empire. I mean, we're a product of that even here today. But we know this about Paul that as Paul was proclaiming the gospel, being faithful to God, he lived with this intense pain. It was a physical pain that was extreme. And what did he do? He cried out to God. He cried out to God repeatedly. He was referred to as his thorn in his flesh. And he said, God, would you take this from me? And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Jesus says this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you for my power. My power, Paul, is going to be made perfect in your weakness. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love for God to give me success in everything wouldn't that be great? I mean, wow, sports and academics and business. I mean, if God and parenting, everything, if God would just give us success in everything that our hands would touch, we would all love that. But the truth is, and we looked at this last week, this was so valuable and meaningful to me, that God doesn't always do that. The truth is that God oftentimes, like with Paul, takes our weaknesses and God says, in your weakness, in your pain, in your frustration... He says, in that place, that's where you're strong, and I'm going to use that, and I'm going to leverage that for my good. God took Paul's circumstances, circumstances that none of us would want. It's so interesting, at the end, Paul eventually gets to this point where he says this. Paul says, I delight. Like, I take joy in my weaknesses, and then he said, "Because, because when I am weak, then I am strong. That's true, God, that that your power is sufficient for me. When I am weak, then I am strong. It's an incredible truth. God repurposes our weaknesses. This is the key statement that we've been looking at throughout the series. It's who you find in the trial, who you find, far outweighs the trial itself. It's this idea that, yes, we go through these trials, and I'll be honest, I think this statement's going to stick with me a long time. It's who we find. We might go through this situation, and the situation, let's just call it what it is, but who we find in the trial. That's the thing that far outweighs the trial itself. I was talking to a family that has experienced trial after trial with one of their children. And they said as they, they went through those uh, circumstances and all those situations that were just incredibly challenging, they said, okay, there was nothing fun about any of the circumstances. There was nothing that brought them joy in the midst of that. But they said where the trial drove them to, they said that they wouldn't trade. They said actually this, it was time well spent. Was it fun? No, but it was time well spent, not because of the circumstances, but because of who the circumstances drove them to. Today we're going to look at this incredible story. This third example is the story of Lazarus. It's from John chapter 11. And we're going to see yet again in the midst of a hopeless situation that God is going to say, okay, the situation's about this small and I want to teach you something this big. I want to teach you something incredible. Now, if this story is familiar to you, I want to encourage you, don't jump to the end of it in your mind. Live in the process. Live in this story a little bit because God has so much for us as we unpack it. The story goes like this. John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. There's a situation. And he was from Bethany. Bethany's kind of like a suburb of Jerusalem, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was, uh, was uh, someone who po- poured perfume on the Lord and <clears throat> wiped his feet with her hair. She was the one who did that. <clears throat> so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Okay, so Jesus gets words. Now, these, these sisters are doing something that many of you have done. You got someone in your life that they're sick, and they, they're, there's a challenge that comes along in your life, and you, so what do you do? You call out to God. That's what these sisters are doing, and they're calling out to Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, We know that you love Lazarus, and so Jesus, the one that you love Lazarus, he's sick. And so Jesus, would you you come quick? Lord, would you do something about us? It doesn't look good. He's on his deathbed. It's not a good place to be in for them. But what we find is that these sisters are not only hoping for, but these sisters are banking on the fact that Jesus is going to come through for them. Then we get to verse 4. It says, when that he heard this, Jesus said... This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. God's saying, you know what? This situation, Lazarus, he's not gonna end up dying, but I, I want you to know that I'm gonna take this situation and I'm gonna use it for something much bigger. I think it's important to know this is not the first time that this, ha- this has happened in the, the gospel book of John. This is actually the seventh sign of this. In the first one, Jesus comes up and he changes water into wine. And after he does this, he says, the reason that I did this is so that you would believe. And so that through the people's belief that God would then be glorified. And we see that in John chapter two. Then we get to John chapter nine and we see Jesus comes up on the blind man. Now, the disciples say to Jesus, they say, hey, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man that he was born blind? Did he sin or was it his parents? And Jesus says, oh, neither. Neither one. This man was born blind so that I might be glorified. And after he was healed, after Jesus healed him, many people, the scriptures say in John 9, they believed. Now we've got Lazarus sick, and his sickness won't lead to death, but God is going to be glorified through this trial, through this situation. You can be confident of this this morning. You might be here today and you're saying, you know what? I am struggling. I'm going through a hard time. We're in a tougher season in our lives, maybe. Maybe it's with the child, with the work situation, whatever it is. Know this God can take that, that situation that seems big, and God can say, okay, it feels like this, but I want to show you something so much bigger, something even so much more important. Verse five, it says this it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, this is very odd. He stayed where he was two more days. This is puzzling. This is not a real pastoral moment, you might say, for Jesus, right? I mean, Lazarus is sick, and they're saying, Lazarus is on his death, but he's about to die. Lord, would you come quick? 911, this is an emergency. And Jesus says, yeah, you know what? Actually, let me state this. I love Lazarus, and I love you, Mary, and I love you, Martha, but i got to tie things up over here, so I'll catch you guys in two days. It would be like this. It would be like if an expectant mother said to her husband, honey, my water just broke. Pull up the car quick. And the husband said, okay, honey, I'll pull up the car in a couple days, but baby, you just hang tight because I love you, honey. I love you. It'd be like that. I mean, it really, it really would. Think about what's happening here. Verse 7 says this. Then and then he said to his disciples two days later, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews, they tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there. So the disciples are kind of like, we don't want to go there. We've had bad news, bad trouble there. We've heard what's going to happen. And so Jesus kind of takes this detour in the text where he says, as long as we're walking in the will of God, it'll be fine. You don't need to worry about that. This isn't the first threat that we've had. So Jesus kind of takes that the little bit of a detour, and then we get to verse 11. He says, after he said this, he went on to tell them, kind of explaining the situation. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, speaking very figuratively there. But I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. You know, a little sleep, it'll help you out. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, though, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He leveled with them. That would have broken their hearts, pit in their stomach now. And then Jesus says, again, a very odd verse here. Jesus says, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Jesus says you know what Lazarus is dead I want you guys to know that that would have been heartbreaking for them but I want you to know I'm glad that he's dead again why it's because Jesus is going to say this little situation I want to teach you something far greater when Pastor Navas was here from Zambia a few weeks ago I had a conversation with him at one point and and I said to him I said you know he's much older than I am and and experienced in ministry years and years and years and uh so I just thought, man, he's got to mentor me here for a little bit. And so I said, how do you lead people well through trials? And knowing just the culture and the climate that he works in and how he faces that every day. And he said to me, this is such an interesting statement, so powerful. He said, trials can often be the greatest gift from God for people. Now, you might hear that, and you've got to know that a statement like that from him as well, it doesn't diminish at all the pain you go through. It doesn't minimize for a second, what you feel in the middle of a trial. Not at all. But what it does do, and what he was saying is this, oftentimes people go through a trial and it actually leads them to this meaningful fork in the road where they they find God, or if they know God, they, they realize who he is in such a broader way that they actually look back on that trial and they're actually glad that they were able to go through it because of who they found in the trial far outweighed the trial itself you know some of you you can probably relate to to that point because at this point in the text because for you you've gone through a situation in your life and you've just realized you know what I'm actually thankful for this because I was over there spiritually and now I'm so much closer to God I've realized that okay I I thought the situation was all about x y and z but I realized God had something so much bigger so much more meaningful for me in it God is about to blow their view in this passage of who he is. Remember that God can use the hardest times for his good. Verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brothers. So they've gathered together, they're surrounding them, they're mourning and when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You talk about desperation. Talk about a little bit of frustration even. But then she says this, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha gets it. She has great faith. She knows Jesus, at the drop of the hat, you you could change everything, even now, still now. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's thinking of eternity. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he drives Martha to a defining question. I think it's asking, we would ask this of ourselves, it would be wise. He says to Martha, he says, Martha, do you believe this? Now don't miss what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, let me take you to a higher elevation, Martha. I don't want you to miss something on the bigger picture. I want you to know that whoever would believe with, believeth in me would never die. That though they die, they would live. Isn't it true, though, that when you go through a trial, oftentimes you see this, when you go through a trial, particularly a life and death trial, a lot of people find God. And so what Jesus is saying is, okay, Martha, do you believe? Do you believe I am who I said I was? When I said I am the resurrection and the life, Martha, do you believe that? Our main point, again, is this, it's who you find In the trial, far outweighs the trial itself. Jesus is wanting to direct Martha away from the trial and right to himself. Martha responds in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, a place that she was often. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Imagine the motion in that. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. The original language right there, deeply moved in spirit, it means that he was like at a gut level, he was angry. And he was, says, moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Now, in order to understand that verse, those verses, particularly that last one, verse 35, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. In order to understand that, we've got to really go back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 where we find this. Sin and death. We're not a part of the plan. It's not the way that things are supposed to be. And so when Jesus, at the gut level, he's angry, he is, he's crying, he is broken. Why is he broken? He's broken because death is not right. Jesus is saying, this isn't the way that it should be. And one day things will be destro- uh, restored. But Jesus is saying, at this, at this moment, Jesus is crying because the thought of this man who he's loved who's created in the image of God, the fact that he is dead, that's just wrong. And so what does Jesus do? He embraces that and he weeps. This past week, thousands of people in our city mourned the loss of one of our police officers. Know that that breaks the heart of God. It's not the way things were intended to be. And one day they'll be restored. You know, one of the greatest things that I think that you can do to cultivate a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ that's thriving, is to learn more and more about the character of God. This is a slice. This is a part of the character of God. Sin and death and pain and suffering grieve the heart of God. And one day he will come and he will restore all things. That's the awesome news. Let's keep going. Look at me at verse 36. It says, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? See how he loved Lazarus? He's weeping. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Again, he's angry over death. He's broken. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. But Lord said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. I love Martha. She's such a straight shooter, isn't she? Lord, by now, he stinks. Like, Lord, I know. I love him. I miss him. He's been gone four days. But whew, the new, new King James Version or the King James Version of the Bible literally says, he stinketh. Not good. She's saying, stay away, Lord. Verse 40. It says, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took the stone away, and then Jesus looked up, and he's doing this for their benefit. He looked up, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. He's saying that I, in, the, in the drop of a hat, I could have, I could have done a work here, but I'm going to say this so that these people know and these people are pointed to you, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he... Had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What a moment. Think about this for a minute. It's no wonder that people in those days, when they saw Jesus Christ and they saw him work, they were willing to die for him. It's no wonder they had that kind of confidence because they saw things like this. It was amazing. What a moment. But what Jesus is wanting to do through this moment is not to say, okay, that was a great miracle. Again, it's not about Lazarus. It's not about Mary. It's not about Martha. It's about God. It's about this picture of, okay, what is my picture of who God is? Verse 45, he nails his reason. He says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary... And they had seen what Jesus did. What did they do? They believed in him. It's interesting. You get to the end of the book of John and there's kind of like this summary statement where it it talks about, okay, basically all these things that we've recorded about who Jesus is, this is the reason why we've recorded them. And it says this, but these things were written, all these accounts of Jesus' life, here it is, that you might believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, think about it for a second. They felt as though God had abandoned them. They felt as though, God, you've left us out. God, you didn't show up when you should have showed up. Lord, if only you would have been here my brother would not have died. And some of you this morning are asking the same question. You're, you're, you're going to God with that key verse. It's a doubting verse where you're going to God and you're saying, God, my back's against the wall. God, are you going to come through? God, is my child going to be okay? God, is, are you going to provide? God, is our future going to be okay? You're, you're asking those kinds of questions. And I love what Jesus does in his love and his grace. What does he do? He he points Martha and he says, Martha, do you believe who I am? And she says, yes, Lord, I I do believe who you are. Think about this for a second. The name of, one of the names for God, Emmanuel, what does it mean? It means that God is with us. And so we look at this situation of Lazarus and God is wanting us to know it's that small. In In the whole grand scheme of things, your life is like this. It's just a blip on the radar in the the scheme of eternity. And one day we're going to stand before God. And what's really going to matter in that moment is this in this little blip called life on earth, did we trust Him? Did we realize and did we take great merit in the fact that God, you are trustworthy? God, I might not have all the answers, but God, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. What did Jesus say to John the Baptist? He was about to be executed. Jesus said, blessed are you, John, if you don't fall away on account of me. John, blessed are you if you take one more step forward. To the apostle Paul, Paul, I know that you're suffering. I know that you're actually going to die for me, Paul. But Paul, I want you to know this. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, I want you to know that that, that your your weakness, that's actually where you're going to find the most strength. And then we get to this story of Lazarus, and it's as though Jesus would say to us this morning, just trust me. That situation is, it's a situation, and it seems huge, and and, and it is huge, and it feels huge. But know this, God is trustworthy, right? God is so trustworthy. Again, our point for this series is this, it's not so much about the trial, but it's who we find in the trial, because that far outweighs the trial itself, and so the best place that we can be is to find him whether we're in a good time or whether we are in a time of trial. So let's do this. Let's pray together. So would you would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and Lord, I thank you that you are the kind of God, Lord, you are not distant from anyone in this room, God, but you are so incredibly present, God, you care for each and every one of us, and God, as we think of the highs and lows of life, Lord, we just commit them to you, and we just say, Lord, open-handedly, we trust you because you are trustworthy. We know that, and we take great faith in that, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would protect and you would guide your church, Lord. I pray for the person that They would say, I'm right in it today. God, would you bless them? Would you give them a great picture of you? And for those that are in a season of joy, Lord, might it be a time where our gratitude for who you are just overflows. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.